Welcome to the Football Fix Podcast. I'm your host, The Football Fix. For my best work, you can find me on Instagram at the.football.fix. For rambling and ranting about sports, you can find me on Twitter at the FB Fix. And this is the second ever Football Fix Podcast. I got a ton of support for that first podcast. I got some feedback, got some good pointers, got some talking points. Uh, and hopefully this second podcast will be better than the last one and we can continue to improve on the podcast quality content and more as we continue to do this thing. So the first thing I want to talk about was a very exciting league that I'm going to be in for the 2019 fantasy football season, and that's the Fantasy Football Throne League. So this Fantasy Football Throne League was an idea created by a guy named Smitty. You can find him on Instagram and Twitter at the Fantasy Football Show. And basically the concept for the league is pretty simple. It's a followers versus followers league. So the fixed nation is able to control everything that our team does in this league. Uh, recently, we did the draft lottery, and we've landed the 11th pick overall. So I would post on my story, or I'd do a, a, just a normal post saying, okay, we're on the clock on this six- to eight-hour draft timer. We're on the clock. These are the players available. Who should we, as the fixed nation, pick? I have a vote. But my, you know, my vote is the same as your vote, and your vote is the same as someone else's vote, and we all just come together, uh, and, and we make all the decisions as a community. Every draft decision, trade decision, start sit, etc., you know, comes down to the people. And really, this is going to be one of the most interactive fantasy football experiences on social media that I've ever seen. Uh, you look at some of the huge, you know, there are some huge accounts. In this league, you got guys like the Fantasy Football Counselor, Fantasy Football Expert, Pro Football Chase. The combined following for all the accounts is over 400,000 people. And when you look at the, the reach, the unique accounts that see everybody's post combined, you know, we have a reach of over a million, well over a million, if not two million accounts per week. So really, this is going to be one of the biggest fantasy football social media leagues I've ever seen and I'm super excited to be a part of it and there's more at stake than just bragging rights because you know bragging rights is great I love for the fixed nation to be on the top of the fantasy football community in 2019 but we're also going to be hosting giveaways for our followers there also might be some, some money involved we're still working out the fine details but you know this is just going to be a really big deal this has the potential to be massive so again i'm super super appreciative to have this opportunity to be in the league uh more details to come if you want to find out those details you can do so at fantasy football throne on instagram you can follow me you can check out the other 11 great fantasy football accounts in the league with me choose your side choose your house to represent and i hope you join the fixed nation as we try to take over the fantasy football world and the next thing i wanted to cover was some breaking news I saw this morning. I woke up getting ready for my day, scrambling some eggs, you know, toasting some toast. And I get a notification on my phone. Adam Schefter tweets, breaking. Packers head coach Matt LaFleur has torn his Achilles playing in basketball on Wednesday night. <laughs> and I couldn't help but just laugh uncontrollably <laughs> that... The injury bug has bit already. We saw Reuben Foster have a horrible knee injury. He tore multiple ligaments, his, his ACL, his LCL. Brutal. We're only in, in late May. 
and we already have a head coach tearing his Achilles. And can I just say this right now? Mike McCarthy wouldn't have torn his, his Achilles, okay? Mike McCarthy would be able to walk around practice. Matt LaFleur is going to have to be wheeling around the, the Green Bay training facility like Brand Stark. Do you really want your head coach being Brand the Broken? Because I'll tell you right now, that Game of Thrones finale was one of the worst series finales I've ever seen. And that's what the Green Bay Packers coaching staff is trending towards. One of the worst I've ever seen. Okay, maybe not. I do like Matt LaFleur. He's a hell of a lot better than Mike McCarthy. Uh, but this was just a very odd, odd story. Wish him a speedy recovery and whatnot. But I just had to talk about that for a quick second there. But speaking of coaches, Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy mentioned on Thursday that Damian Williams will be the team's starting running back. No committee approach in Kansas City. It's Damian Williams' time. It's his job to lose as the Chiefs workhorse back. And in six games last season, including the playoffs, Damian Williams averaged 24.8 PPR fantasy points per game, which would have been the highest total points per game only behind Todd Gurley last season. And then if you were to extrapolate those 24.8 points per game over a full 16-game season, uh, Damian Williams would be by far the RB1 overall in fantasy football last season. Now, obviously, you can't just extrapolate the numbers and say as a projection that Damian Williams you know, will be the RB1 overall. But it at least shows that this guy can be extremely productive in that RB1 role. And when you look at his efficiency last year, it was crazy. He was the second most efficient running back in the league. If you look at a metric called production premium, which is a situational efficiency metric that puts a premium on, on quote-unquote clutch situations and discounts things like garbage time. So, you know, it's one of the best efficiency metrics that I look at, and Damian Williams ranked second in it. He also... You know, he did have a game, a very positive game script because the Chiefs were in such an explosive offense. They were always leading their opponents. He had the most favorable game script in the league. So in terms of efficiency, in terms of game script, there will likely be a regression to the mean, which means, you know, it basically just means that Damon Williams, you know, won't be maybe a top three running back. His production may regress on a per-touch basis, but that doesn't mean he still won't be a high-end RB2 with RB1 upside in 2019 fantasy football. Damon Williams is 222 pounds. He ran a 4-4-5-40 uh, coming out of Oklahoma. And when you size adjust that, because obviously, you know, you wouldn't expect a 222 pounds Damon Williams to run the same 40 as, you know, 165 pound Tariq Cohen or whatever. But when you size adjust that at 222 pounds, Damon Williams Size-adjusted speed score ranks in the 95th percentile of all NFL running backs that have been in the league since 2013. And that's super impressive. This guy's explosive, he's athletic, and he's big enough to handle an every-down workload at the next level. He's also super versatile. You don't need to take him off the field. He can he can handle the workload in between the tackles. He can also catch the football out of the backfield. And he proved last season again he's a really efficient effective pass catcher. And as the replacement for Kareem Hunt in the second half of the 2018 season, Williams outperformed Hunt in every 
single way imaginable, uh, which is why this makes sense to me. Damian Williams should be the starter, and I believe in his ability to produce efficiently uh, and really fend off any other running backs in that backfield in terms of touches. Do I think Carlos Hyde is going to take away a significant amount of touches from him? No. Do I think uh, James Williams, rookie from Washington State, or Daryl Williams from, I believe, LSU, do I think those guys are going to take away? Darwin Thompson, do I think they're going to take away touches from Damian Williams in 2019? No way. So at the moment, I have Damian Williams ranked at the back end of the RB1 tier with with true upside of a mid tier RB1. So so I have him about an RB12 right now, but he definitely has the upside of a top five running back. And I think that can't be ignored when you're, you know, in your drafts at the end of the second round, early third, circle Damian Williams on your your draft board as a guy to target. Someone else in that range is Steelers running back James Conner. And some reports out of OTA suggest the Steelers have been experimenting with two back formations. And, you know, every single week, the Steelers sound less and less confident in James Conner's ability to command a full workload in the NFL. And I think he is capable, but it doesn't matter what I think because the Steelers are the guys controlling, you know, dictating who gets the touches. And they drafted Benny Snell in the fourth round. Jalen Samuels proved last season in his rookie year that he's definitely capable of producing efficiently as the lead guy in that backfield. And that's why I just don't think that James Conner is as big of a lock as, you know, people are making him out to be. I am worried that some sort of a running back by committee could develop in Pittsburgh. However, I do think that without Antonio Brown, uh, the Steelers will likely opt to run the ball a bit more in 2019. There will be more opportunity in total to go around to the three backs. But I just don't see James Conner getting it all like he did in 2018. And for that reason, I have Damian Williams and James Conner ranked back to back at the moment. I, I actually gave James Conner the edge here, but Damian Williams is a quick riser. I truly believe in his ability. And I think those two really, you know, will be jostling on my rankings for a while. And if you'd like to see more of my rankings, I believe I'm going to be starting to work on the first ever fan, uh, football fix fantasy draft kit for the 2019 season. Nothing too special, nothing too snazzy, but it will include all of my player rankings, PPR, half PPR, standard, individual player write-ups for all of the main fantasy football contributors. I'll list my my players I'm targeting, boom bust, you know, bust warnings, players I'll be avoiding in 2019 fantasy football. It'll all be on the draft kit. It's currently underway. Um, I don't know how much it'll cost. I don't know the fine, fine details of it, but I asked the followers, I asked the Fix Nation if they would like a draft kit, if they'd be willing to pay for a 2019 fantasy football guide, and they responded overwhelmingly with, you know, make it for us. So I will do that as soon as possible. I'll get it cranked out. Stay tuned for that if you'd like to see full rankings, player write-ups, and more. And then really the last thing I wanted to talk about was my rookie, my dynasty rookie wide receiver rankings that I released it's six days ago now at the time of recording, May 31st. Um, 
if you listen to the first ever Football Fix podcast, I went through my running back dynasty rankings. I talked about my process uh, when it comes to evaluating running backs. So again, I just sort of wanted to go through my, my process when evaluating these receiver prospects. So similar to the way that I start with uh, running backs, I do the same thing with the wide receivers. I look at their height, their weight, their arm length. Just look at the, the basic measurables. Uh, see what I can gather from looking at that. You look at a guy like Nikhil Harry, 6'2", 228 pounds, 81st percentile arms. He's got a big frame. He has the body of a prototypical X receiver, and that's just something that you have to note. But if you look at, say, at, at one end of the spectrum, you have Kelvin Benjamin, who's 250 pounds. He's overweight. You can say, you know, okay, how does this affect his speed? How does this affect his agility? Is he just a, a simply a contested catch receiver? Or you look at the other end of the spectrum, you say Marquise Brown, 166 pounds. When you look at the numbers out of the 43 wide receiver prospects and players in the NFL to weigh in between 155 and 175 pounds since 2013, only one player has been would be considered a successful first round pick, and that's Deshaun Jackson. So one out of 43 odds. When you look at guys who you know are normal, normally sized, you could say you know sit between six foot, six three, two, uh, you know minimum two hundred pounds. When you look at those guys, the hit rate, or what I consider a hit rate, would be about one in fifteen. And when you look at a guy like Marquise Brown, you're looking at one in forty three odds. And I know that's simplifying it a lot, but there are some things that you can't ignore, and height, weight, etc. You know is something that matters. The next thing you have to look at is the college dominator rating, the predictive metrics, the breakout age, and dominator rating is similar to the dominator rating for the running back. It's just a little bit different. With running backs, you factor in a, a total offense's rushing and receiving production, but for a wide receiver, you only factor in the percentage of the team's total receiving production because obviously most receivers don't have much of any impact in the running game in terms of you know rushing yards and whatnot. So again, we're looking at Nikhil Harry here, 43.9%, 88th percentile college dominator rating, just means he was responsible for 43.9% of all of Arizona State's receiving yards and receiving touchdowns. And that's super predictive. Like I said, it's a great sign. When you're dominant in college, you're likely going to be dominant in the NFL, especially at a major in a major conference program like Arizona State. The next thing I'll look at is breakout age. And there have been numerous studies about, you know, how good of a metric breakout age is when evaluating these college prospects. And just like dominator rating, it is super, super predictive. Uh, you know, just think about it. The younger a person is when they master their job, their, their craft, their receiving ability, the younger they are, the more potential they have for the future, the more room they have to grow. It's, you know, it's, you think about it intuitively, it makes sense. Uh, you look at a guy like Nikhil Harry, 18.7 breakout age. That means he was 18.7 years old when he first broke out in college. That ranks the 95th percentile of NFL receivers. That is phenomenal. And breakout age is simply calculated by, uh, it's the age of a player in the midpoint of his first college season where he had at least 20% dominator rating. So when he was... A, a, a consistent contributor in his offense, you know, how old was he? And that matters, like I said, because breakout age is super predictive. So I definitely will look at dominator rating and breakout age uh, in terms of the, the metrics when evaluating these receiver prospects. And then the raw counting stats, 
Again, I talked about it last week a ton uh, in the first ever Football Fix podcast. I suggest you go listen to that after this, so I won't really touch on the raw counting stats much, but they don't matter as much as the things like Dominator rating, which puts the raw counting stats into some context, but it still matters a little bit. Production still matters. Um, so I look at that, I look at efficiency, college yards per reception. Uh, you look at a guy like like Zay Jones, he was super inefficient in college. You have to ask yourself, is he a compiler? Is he going to be extremely inefficient in the NFL? Because when you're talking about dynasty fantasy, you know, in the context of a dynasty league, you don't want inefficient players on your team. Uh, so again, you just look at the, the raw counting stats, college yards per reception, and then I'll go into the film, take notes, pros and cons. I talked about film watching versus metrics last week. I won't go into it again, but I'll watch the film. And then any other information I can gather, whether it be just, you know, with a quick Google search on Twitter, uh, any facts, tidbits of information that I can gather, it all goes into my prospect evaluations. Uh, and, and it helps me build the rankings that you see today. So starting with my WR1 overall, I've already talked about him a bit. Nikhil Harry, drafted by the Patriots in the first round. And really, I think this guy is a can't-miss prospect. He's got a high floor. He's got a high ceiling. You look at the dominator rating, like I said, 88th percentile. You look at the breakout age, 95th percentile. There were some concerns about his athleticism coming out of Arizona State, but he ran a 4-5-3-40 at the Combine, which is a whole lot faster than at least what I uh, expected. And again, when he size adjusts that, he ranks the 90th percentile size just in speed. So really, Nikhil Harry is a plus athlete. He has a 78th percentile burst score, an 81st percentile catch radius. He profiles as a guy who can dominate on the outside, win in contested areas, but also he can work out of the slot. Uh, he's super dangerous after the catch with the ball in his hands. And really, you know, there are concerns about his separation. But for me, you know, there's so many good things about Nikhil Harry's profile, I'm not going to get caught up too much on the separation issues. I'm going to enjoy the good things, focus on on the more predictive things, and then obviously, you know, hope he can improve on his separation in the future. At uh, my WR2 overall, I have Paris Campbell, who was drafted in the second round by the Colts, and Campbell in his final season at Ohio State, he had over 1,000 yards. His dominant rating was only 23.5%, which ranks in the 31st percentile. But in the context of Ohio State's offense, you know, their spread attack, uh, Campbell accounting for a quarter of the team's total receiving production is okay. That's all right. And, you know, you look at his athleticism, he's a, he's a freak athlete. He ran a 4-3-1-40 at the Combine. He's super explosive with a 97th percentile burst score. He has the perfect size that I look for in terms of a slot receiver. He's six foot, 205 pounds. He's not undersized. He's not oversized. He's built durably, and he's super, like I said, super explosive. Um, I'd say the main concern, you know, on film with Paris Campbell, you can see he's not the best route runner. He's definitely not a technician, but that's something you can learn at the next level. He's also, you know, his A dot in twenty. Eight in the 2018 college football season, 4.5 average depth of target. That was actually the worst out of every single receiver in this class. It makes some people question whether or not Paris Campbell can truly beat teams deep. But I refuse to believe that a you know a 4-3-1-40 kind of speed guy with 97th percentile burst won't be able to take the top off of the defense. I just refuse to believe that. I think that 4.5 A dot is more, you know, 
it, 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 it's just more saying that Ohio State didn't use Campbell to the best of his ability, and that's not his fault. So Campbell is my WR2 in the Colts offense. He should be starting in three receiver sets, if not being a top two receiver, starting in two receiver sets. He should be in a productive role for years to come. Now, my WR3 is A.J. Brown, who was drafted by the Titans in the second round, and this is actually sort of a... It's a tough one for me because I think A.J. Brown and Nikhil Harry were in a tier of their own atop this uh, this wide receiver class. But landing in Tennessee really just isn't a good spot. You know, Marcus Mariota has struggled immensely to uh, both to stay healthy and to produce in Tennessee up to this point. You know, Corey Davis is there. You have Delaney Walker coming back healthy. Uh, there are a lot of, of, you know, cliche mouths to feed in Tennessee, but I wouldn't say enough production to go around. But again, I do think A.J. Brown is an amazing prospect. I think he's a great player. He can play both on the inside and the outside. Uh, in the context of Ole Miss's offense, you have an NFL player in Demarcus Lodge, an NFL player in D.K. Metcalf, and even an NFL player in their tight end, Dawson Knox, I believe is his name, uh, in Ole Miss. Yet A.J. Brown was still absolutely dominant in college You know, ever since his sophomore year. He's also a de- decent athlete, ran a 4-4-1, 40-yard dash at the combine, size adjusted to 90th percentile, size adjusted speed score. So, you know, he checks so many boxes in terms of his prospect profile. I can't really move him past that WR3 spot in my Dynasty Rookie Rankings. Next up in my WR4 spot is one DK Metcalf, who I actually considered someone, I actually considered Metcalf as someone who was overrated through much of the pre-draft process because the internet hype, the buzz around him, was so great. I I couldn't help but call him overrated based on what I saw on the internet, but the NFL obviously didn't feel the same way. He went at the end of the second round in the draft and you know, landing in Seattle, you know, we obviously know that DK Metcalf is explosive. 228 pounds, yet he ran a 4-3-340. That's a 99th percentile size just the speed score only behind Calvin Johnson. DK Metcalf is the Best size-adjusted athlete since Calvin Johnson, and that can't be ignored. You pair that sort of athleticism with Russell Wilson, who has one of the best deep balls in the league. I love the situation. You know, that that WR3 chair is up for grabs. That WR22 chair is really up for grabs now that Doug Baldwin's gone. Tyler Lockett's the WR1, but who's going to fill in, be that field stretcher opposite of Lockett? Uh, And I think that guy could be DK Metcalf. So at my WR4 spot, I think that's a, that's a pretty fair assessment. And actually, you know, I think you could say that DK Metcalf landed in a better spot than A.J. Brown. It's just that, you know, I think A.J. Brown is, is the much superior prospect. They were teammates at Ole Miss, and you saw there who, who the superior player was, which is why I have A.J. Brown ahead of him. But again, DK Metcalf at four. Next up, I have Debo Samuel at five. He was drafted in the second round by the 49ers, and you know, I didn't have Debo Samuel ranked as high as the RB or sorry, the wide receiver five pre-draft, but this is just a, a situation where the landing spot is too good to pass up on. Obviously, you have Kyle Shanahan's magical offense. You know that'll definitely get a ton of hype. Debo Samuel is still a great player. He's he's he has a good build, although he's not necessarily durable. He has a thick build, a durable build. Um, He's actually good in contested areas despite being small. He's a good athlete. And 
I'm confident in the 49ers' ability to use him in all phases in that offense, and I think he's he's in a, in a situation to be productive in 2019 and beyond. Uh, next up in my RB, sorry, wide receiver six spot, I have Nicole Hardman, and I'm actually really sort of torn about this Hardman uh, ranking because he's been airdropped into a super favorable situation. Tyreek Hill's status is up in the air. I'm going to assume for now that Tyreek Hill won't be playing another snap in Kansas City you know, ever again. So that will leave Michael Hartman as the WR2, if not WR1, in that Tyreek Hill field-stretching explosive role. The issue I have, though, is that I don't think Michael Hardman is a great prospect. And, you know, you look at some of the, the analysts around this industry, they've completely changed their tone on Michael Hardman. Nobody was really talking about him in the pre-draft process. Nobody that I saw had him ranked in the top 10. But after he's drafted, you know, people are, are suddenly praising his game and praising his potential. And all I have to say to that is, you know, the jersey that a player wears doesn't change his ability. I I don't change my pre-draft evaluation of what a player can do based on his landing spot. The landing spot might help dictate production, but it, again, it doesn't dictate ability. And I, I just didn't have Mikkel Hardman ranked very highly in the pre-draft process. Sure, he, he ran fast. He ran a 4 through 340. But you look at a guy like Paris Campbell... Andy Isabella, DK Metcalf, DK Metcalf is 228 pounds and 6'3". And he ran the same 40 as Miko Hardman did at 187 pounds. So if you're looking for a field stretcher, you know, why not DK Metcalf? Um, he wasn't, Miko Hardman wasn't productive at Georgia. And, you know, I've had people saying, oh, it was Georgia's offense. They're run first. Obviously, he wasn't productive. But again, that's what for that's what College Dominator is for. It puts the production into context. You look at A.J. Green in college. He didn't eclipse 1,000 yards once in his Georgia career because of that run first team, yet he still had an upper percentile dominator rating. But that's not the case with Amiko Hardman. His 18.7% college dominator rating ranks in the 19th percentile of NFL receivers. And per Anthony Amico, wide receiver prospects who failed to post at least a 28% dominator rating in their final season only hit 1% of the time. So again, I think I just think the Chiefs are sort of chasing an outlier in Tyree Kill with this Amiko Hardman pick. I, I'm not a fan of Amiko Hardman, the player. But you, I can't ignore the landing spot he's in. He's in a situation where he could be productive in his rookie year and beyond, which is why, despite I'm not a fan of him, he's you know as high as my WR6. At WR7, I have J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who was drafted by the Eagles. And you know he's, he's probably a year or two away. Obviously, Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, Nelson Aguilar seem like they're the 1-2-3 on that wide receiver depth chart. But J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is reportedly getting some reps in the slot uh, in OTAs so far in, in the early offseason process. Uh, so maybe he could push Aguilar for some slot duties in his rookie year. Uh, but you look at Arcega Whiteside's profile, he ran a 4-5-440 at 6'2", 225 pounds, which ranks in the 87th percentile size and speed. He's not a great athlete. 29th percentile burst, 11th percentile agility score, but at Stanford, he was productive, 42.7% college dominator rating, ranks in the 86th percentile, 16.8 college yards perception, that ranks in the 77th percentile. He's got a 19.7, 74th percentile breakout age. So 
there are a lot of good things going for for our second white side in terms of the predictive metrics, in terms of the production, especially, you know, for a Stanford receiver, I'd say he's a promising prospect, even though he's a year or two away. Alshon Jeffrey, he could be released after the 2019 season. I believe the Eagles would save a net a net cap savings of about $9 million if they do opt to release Jeffrey. So, you know, that gives our Sega Whiteside some long-term appeal. Remember, this is Dynasty. You own these players for life. So you have to think down the road two or three years. And in two or three years, I could see our Sega Whiteside paired with Carson Wentz in a productive role. Number nine spot, I have Andy Isabella, who was drafted in the second round by the Cardinals. And... You know, 5'9", 188 pounds. He he profiles as a slot receiver at the next level. He is extremely explosive. 4'3", 140 at the combine. Uh, he has a 65th percentile agility score, which is, you know, okay. It's above average. Um, 97th percentile, 52.2% college dominator rating. That's super, super impressive. Yet, you know, in the face of huge volume at UMass, he was still relatively efficient with a 16.6 yards per reception that ranks the 75th percentile. And, you know, I learned from Isabella. I think he's a good route runner. And then obviously, like I said, he's ex- he is explosive in Cliff Kingsbury's new air raid offense. The Cardinals are going to be running 99% of their plays out of shotgun. Um, so I really think Andy Isabella will be in a great position to produce, you know, with Kyler Murray at quarterback too. I love the landing spot. That's why he's my WR8. And then we have Akeem Butler at WR9, also drafted by the Cardinals a little later um, in the fourth round, actually. But, you know, the reason I have Isabella ranked ahead of Butler is just because of the draft capital. You know, obviously the Cardinals believe that Andy Isabella was the superior prospect. So I believe they'll use him in, in a better Role, but still, Hakeem Butler, 6'5, 227 pounds. He's massive. He also ran a 4'4, 840, which, you know, that gives him a 97th percentile speed score. He has monstrous 99th percentile arm, a 99th percentile arm length. He has a 96th percentile catch radius. He was dominant in his final season at Iowa State. He had a 43.5%, 88th percentile college dominator rating. He was super, super efficient with a 22.0 yards per reception that ranks the 97th percentile amongst NFL receivers. And this guy was mossing receivers in college. He was bullying smaller corners. Uh, there is some issues. I think he's not, a, he's not a refined receiver. He's far from being a nuanced one. You know, he struggles with drops. He's not the best route runner, but he does have the frame, the build. Um, he has upside with that sort of, sort of explosiveness. And again, Paired with Kyler Murray in Cliff Kingsbury's air raid offense, I think he has a lot of potential to produce, you know, effectively at the next level. Next up on my rankings, this is probably going to be a little bit of a controversial controversial selection, is Marquise Hollywood Brown. And I know a lot of dynasty analysts have him higher than the WR10 spot. You know, he was the first receiver off the board drafted by the Ravens in the first round. And I understand the appeal with him. If he would have been healthy, he probably would have ran in the four threes. He's a good route runner. He was productive at Oklahoma. He's got decent hands. He can, you know, he can gain separation pretty consistently. He's dangerous with the ball in his hands and all those things. But there's one thing I can't get past, and that's his size. He is extremely, extremely undersized. 
5'9", 166 pounds. People are saying that his playing weight is actually even less than that. Uh, you look at the receivers since 2013. There have been 47 receivers who have weighed in between 155 pounds and 175 pounds. Out of those 47 guys, the only really successful guy you can pick out of that group is Deshaun Jackson. And and really to show you the gap between you know Jackson, the next guy, you know you're talking about guys like Paul Richardson, Taylor Gabriel, Travis Benjamin. You would never spend a first round pick on those guys, and you're talking one in forty seven odds. We just haven't really seen a guy Marquise Brown's size succeed at the next level because Deshaun Jackson is even ten pounds heavier than Brown at least. So again. You know, that would make Marquise Brown an outlier, and I very, very rarely, 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 very rarely bet on outliers. I can't get past the size with Marquise Brown, which is why he fell all the way down to my uh, WR10 spot. Also, the Ra- you know, landing with the Ravens, that's not a great landing spot for fantasy production. Lamar Jackson is struggling with his ability to throw the ball consistently, and, you know, I don't see much production there as the WR1 in Baltimore, whether it be Nikhil Harry or Marquise Brown. So it's sort of a mix of a bad landing spot, and I have some serious concerns about his profile. That's why he fell all the way down to my WR10. Now I'll try to speed things up here. WR11, I had Deontay Johnson drafted by the Steelers. Uh, Again, this is another one of those situations where I think the Steelers might be chasing an outlier. They're trying to replace Antonio Brown. You look at Deontay Johnson coming out of Toledo. He was not, you know crazy productive, um, but he is a great route runner. He's the same size as Antonio Brown. And I just think, you know, maybe the Steelers saw something in Johnson that they saw in Brown all those years ago. But again, it's chasing an outlier. Uh, There are talks that Johnson is uh, doing some first team reps in OTA so far. So he should be put in a decent situation to produce potentially as the WR3 in that offense. Uh, which is why he's my WR11 right now, even though I'm not a huge fan of his game. WR12, I have Kelvin Harmon. He was drafted late, late, late by the Redskins. I don't know why he fell so far, um, but Harmon is a great contested catch receiver. He's got a big body. You look at the, the depth chart in Washington, there really isn't anybody there. There isn't really a receiver of consequence that you could say is you know untouchable, that is super superior to Kelvin Harmon right now. I think that depth chart is pretty wide open for the most part. Harmon could find himself in a starting role in three receiver sets in his rookie year and beyond, which is why he's my WR12. Next on my WR13 spot, I have Gary Jennings, who was drafted in the fourth round by the Seahawks. And, you know, Jennings is a super athletic wide receiver. 4'4", 240 at the combine, 94th percentile size adjusted speed. He's 6'1", 214, so he profiles as sort of that bigger-bodied slot guy. Doug Baldwin's retired. The slot duties are definitely up for grabs in Seattle, so I think he's in a decent spot to just, you know, win a starting job in three receiver sets in his rookie year. I'd say that about a lot of other receiver prospects, so that's why he's my WR13. WR14, I have Miles Boykin. He was drafted by the Ravens, and, you know, Boykin is another super athletic outside receiver, big body. He can stretch the field. When in contested situations, the one issue I have with his uh, his dynasty value is, again, that Ravens offense isn't super friendly in terms of receiving production, uh, you know, for 2019 and beyond. Uh, so Boykin just isn't something I'm super excited about. 
even though I was a fan of him as a player, that situation just isn't that appealing. Uh, next, I have Jalen Hurd ranked as my WR15. Uh, he was drafted by the 49ers coming out of Baylor, who's actually drafted sort of higher than I expected. And I think Hurd is sort of intriguing. I think he could sort of play an H-back role um, in San Francisco. There were reports that he could move to tight end. But I think, again, it'd be more of that H-back role, which is sort of a guy that plays fullback, plays you know, tight end, and also you know carry the ball out of the backfield, catch the ball out of the backfield. He's just sort of like a movable chess piece uh, everywhere on that offense. I think Jalen Hurd is a player who could fill that role. He played running back in college and in high school. He's a new transition to receiver. So, again, his versatility is a plus. He landed on a decent offense, which is and he was drafted higher than I expected, which is why he's my WR15. WR16 is Terry McLaurin out of Ohio State, drafted by the Redskins. I'm actually not a huge fan of McLaurin as a prospect, but he is explosive. You know, he profiles as a field stretcher at the next level. In Washington, the depth chart, again, is an open one. Uh, so he's in a decent situation. He's my WR16. At the WR17 spot, I have one Riley Ridley. And, uh, you know, Riley Ridley is one of those players. He checks none of the boxes. I did not understand why so many, I mean, there were analysts who had him ranked as their WR1 overall, and it makes no sense to me. He's a sub-athlete, ran a 4.5840 at the combine, has a 15th percentile burst score, a 20th percentile agility score. His overall spark score rating ranks the 20th percentile. He wasn't productive in college at Georgia with a 28th percentile college dominator rating. He's an old prospect. You know, he has a 14th percentile breakout age and he's already, you know, almost 23 years old. The only thing about Riley Ridley's profile that was appealing is that he's brothers with Calvin Ridley. Um, and again, I don't think that's good process. You know, people liked his route running, but again, I don't value the subjective film analysis of, of route running as much as I value all the predictive metrics and things that Riley Ridley just absolutely bombs. Uh, so really, if I could rank him lower than 17, I would, but the Bears did draft him in the fourth round. Uh, you know, there isn't, you know, the Bears depth chart isn't actually that deep. You have Anthony Miller as the WR2 or 3 uh, with Taylor Gabriel, uh, but those guys aren't necessarily immovable objects. I know I say that a lot, but you know that depth chart is climbable for Riley Ridley, even though I think he's a he's a not so good prospect. As much as I'd like to rank him as my WR one hundred, I have to rank him as my WR seventeen because of the favorable situation. Now WR eighteen, I have Hunter Renfro drafted by the Raiders, and this is you know really a John Gruden pick, you know. Hard-nosed, technically refined football player, Hunter Renfro, Clemson, he's a champion, all those things. Uh, Renfro's a decent player, again, good route runner, slot receiver, whatever, but nothing you know about his profile really pops off the page. He's just sort of a solid player. Uh, in Oakland, the slot receiver role is sort of up for grabs, which is why I'd say Renfro is kind of appealing and at that WR18 spot.
at that WR19 spot, I have Scott Miller, who was drafted uh, in the sixth round out of Bowling Green by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Miller has actually been drawing some praise from new head coach Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians called him a John Brown-type player. And coming from Arians, you know, knowing the relationship Arians had with John Brown back in Arizona, that is really high praise. But, you know, 5'9", 174 pounds, Miller is, ran a 4'4", 440. Uh, just profiles as you know an undersized field stretcher at the next level. I don't think he's a great prospect, but you know who's going to be that WR three in Tampa Bay? Will it be Brashad Perriman? You know I don't know. Scott Miller could be the WR three when it's all said and done. Uh, come week one, and we all know how productive that Tampa Bay passing attack is, uh, which gives him some dynasty appeal at that WR nineteen spot. And then my next five WR spots that I have ranked, I'm going to go through really quick because I don't really have much to say about them. Travis Fulgham at WR20, drafted by the Lions. Uh, you know, the WR3 spot in Detroit is up for grabs. Fulgham could win it, which is why he's my WR20. WR21, Emmanuel Hall. He went undrafted reportedly because of attitude issues, but he profiles as a field stretcher at the next level. He's got good size, good speed coming out of Missouri. He, he has experience in, in an air raid-esque offense at Missouri. Uh, going into Chicago, maybe head coach Matt Nagy will be able to get the most out of Hall's skill set. He's my WR21. WR22 is Keyshawn Johnson. Again, this is just situation. You know, uh, Cliff Kingsbury's new offense in Arizona. Although the Cardinals drafted two receivers before Johnson, I could still see, you know, the Cardinals running four receiver sets often could leave a role for Keyshawn Johnson. Um, despite, you know, being the third receiver off the board just for the Cardinals. Um, 23rd, uh, my WR 23 spot goes to Dylan Mitchell. Uh, again, it's just situation. The WR three spot in Minnesota is up for grabs. Laquan Treadwell is a flaming bust. I think the Vikings are really close to just giving up on him completely. That leaves that gives Dylan Mitchell an opportunity to maybe beat the WR three in twenty nineteen or you know beyond that point. Twenty uh, fourth spot and final spot. Marcus Green profiles as a slot receiver at the next level in Atlanta. Obviously, you got Julio Jones there. You have Calvin Ridley there, and you have Muhammad Sanu there. So. An, an immediate starting job for Marcus Green is unlikely, but Sanu could be gone after the 2019 season, which which could leave Green, you know, starting in three receiver sets in 2020 and beyond. So he has some late round appeal. He's my WR24. And that concludes my Dynasty rookie wide receiver rankings. Again, if you want to see my Dynasty uh Running back rankings as well. I also released the overall rankings where I ranked the running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, and quarterbacks combined. I'm not going to go over that in a podcast. I'm sort of sick and tired of talking about these rookie prospects uh, at this point. But you can find those posts on Instagram at the.football.fix. Again, you can find me on Twitter for ramblings and rantings at the FB Fix. If you want to email me any questions, concerns, suggestions about the podcast, any feedback is appreciated. You can email me at thefootballfix25 at gmail.com. Also, you know, my DMs are open on all social media. This will be on YouTube. This will be on podcasts. I just got approved 
on Apple Podcasts. I'm on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find me. Share this with a friend. You know, share this with whoever. Give me a five-star rating on wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you all later.